gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and today we're talking about MVPs. No, we're not talking about Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, or Montel Bontavious Porter. We're talking about the MVPs of WWE's Ruthless Aggression era. Now, this was a time where WWE had just progressed out of the, the Attitude era, and it made some really big names as a result. So today, me and the panel, we're going to be doing a deep dive into some of these memorable names, and we'll discuss who made the biggest impact uh, during this time, and who became the, the stars of, what we, of the era we now know today. So before we, we kick off with the debate, I just want to remind everybody that we've got new content coming out every Thursday on this channel, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. And we also have our extra feed, Suplex Retweet Extra, where we have tons of great content with you, including Wednesday Night Wars, Alba Good Graps, Eats Meets West, and of course, the ever popular Saturday Draft Live. And if you want to keep up to date with all the content we have uh, on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And be sure you're subscribed to us on all good podcasting sites, whether it be iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or any good Android podcasting sites. Be sure to visit the website as well, suplexretweet.com, for all the interviews, articles, and everything else in between. And also, on our YouTube channel, uh, Suplex, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, we have our quiz showdown series, where you can check that out and see how well our general knowledge is when it comes to wrestling. So... Now that that's out of the way, let's introduce uh, the MVPs of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. So, up first, in light of the new Eats Meets West episode that's come out on Suplex Retweet Extra Feed, the subtitle of that episode is Everything is Evil. Although this man's just not quite evil enough. You could say he's, he's quasi-evil, semi-evil, the margarine of evil, the Diet Coke of evil, just one calorie, not evil enough. It is Scott McLeod. <laughs> Uh, I really like that, Dave. Thank you very much. And well, Scotty, don't. Scotty, don't. I'm bad, mean, you don't. <laughs> I, mean, I love that. I, as, a, as a younger sibling, I've been told that by Ross, I'm often like the Ruthless Aggression Era to his attitude era in terms of our, how much our parents love us. And that I've got some highlights, but overall more disappointing than the, the person that came before me. I'm just glad that more than one of us on this panel got the the Austin Powers reference, so I'm, I'm pleased with that. I actually was quite happy that Scott, that was the only thing Scott's ever been semi at that's not been disappointed. He's found- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no uh, and uh, just as you heard him there, our next panellist uh, uh, is currently in the midst of the ongoing Best of Five series between Anyway Back to the Wrestling and The Raw Report, although he's falling flatter than Kenzo Suzuki's singles run. It is Ryan Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a Japanese reference that I do not get. The only Japanese thing that I watch. Never mind, we're not getting <laughs> uh, And we'll just cut you off there before we, uh, before we get in trouble. So, uh, up next... Uh, as much as we enjoy uh, a good battle rap from the Ruthless Aggression era, this guy is less like the Doctor of Thugonomics and more like Spanky. It is Chris Murray. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, David. I liked it. Uh, David, just for you, um, this is just for the video, um, but just for you, I wore a t-shirt which you were there the first time I wore it out the house mm-hmm. in 2012. My CM Punk t-shirt! 
Yeah, I remember that was uh, this was a time where you were at the, the peak of your radio abilities. Now <laughs> I'm nowhere near the peak anymore. I was yeah. expecting a, a strong investor. <laughs> uh, I won't ask why you, why you're uh, suggesting it's a string vest. But anyway, um, <laughs> and obviously, the, all the great content uh, we have here, Eat Seeps About Street, isn't without isn't um, couldn't be accomplished without the real MVP behind the scenes. And no, he's not our Montel Monte, Montel Vontavious Porter. Dave, he is, in Dave, fact, Dave, Dave, what? Dave, you've, you've, what? Already, you've already done my intro. <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about you, Ryan. I'm talking about the MVEP. He is Mister Kwaku Aji. I mean, I mean, it was all well and good. Kwaku Aji. Thank you very much. It was all well and good. I liked how you said that with conviction and pride. Next thing though, we'll work on making it just a little bit longer, just to kind of stretch it out as much as I can. But good job, first time around. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm so tempted to make a really funny joke right now, but um, crack um, on! I'm not stopping you. <laughs> I was hoping for the other. You making a funny joke, David? The first for everything. <laughs> I I I thought someone else would have said that. But we, we probably don't need to worry about making Quacku any longer than he already is. Hey. <laughs> On that topic, by the way, I, I wanted to make a point before we start. Um, for anybody else watching the video version of this Quacku, I think you're trying to sell me a calendar right now. The way you're you're sitting there, man, it's very it's very sexual. Just kind of looking into my eyes. Like, is, do you want do is, you want is, the new Quacku calendar? It's, it's it's like just my natural pose. Wait till you see, wait wait till you see December. That will come later on, or when the yeah. camera stops rolling. It definitely will come later on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, can we get into the show, please, before we mention the topic? All right. So today, um, it's going to be kind of like an open panel discussion slash debate. Now we've had this kind of format on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet before, where we've discussed. Uh, WrestleMania venues, uh, WrestleMania's main events, uh, among some of the topics we've discussed. But today we're going to be discussing who was the real MVP of the Ruthless Aggression Era. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to ask each of our panel members to argue, to pick a wrestler from the from the Ruthless Aggression Era, and I want them to argue their case as to why their selection is the real MVP of the Ruthless Aggression Era. Now I've asked them to pick two each because we're going to do one in each half. Uh, I will then challenge said pick, as will the other panelists. And the object of this show is to basically make the best case for your selected superstar. Uh, is everybody clear on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, Ryan, I'm going to start off with you. Um, who do you believe is the MVP of the Ruthless Aggression Era? So, Dave, I'm just going to totally flip the narrative on this. And I actually want the guys to prove to me why this person is not the MVP. So I'm going to flip it a little bit for this. My first pick as MVP of the Ruthless Aggression era is Mr. Ruthless Aggression himself, Mr. John Cena. You know, when you put this out here, I was the first one to get in on, on my pick when I picked Cena and I know for a fact that that would have been the first person everybody wanted to pick. So I kind of feel like this is a null and void argument. John Cena, we wouldn't have the Ruthless Aggression either without John Cena. Without him coming out, challenging Kurt Angle and him asking what he's got and he said, Ruthless Aggression. That set the tone for everything that followed after that. The way that John Cena was when he first started, it was like the 
you know, taking somebody from being nothing, putting everything behind them, and you know, throwing them right up to the the stardom that John Cena got to. I just want to know why John Cena, why this is even a show. Why, why are we doing the MVPs? John Cena wins this hands down. Like, can somebody put a question to me on this one? Uh, do any of our panelists want to present any questions to Ryan? Because I've got a couple myself, but I'd like to see what you guys all think. Okay, so right off the bat, can you name some of the greatest people that John Cena had rivalries with in the Ruthless Aggression era? Go for it. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because, mate, he had rivalries with everybody. Yeah, but they made some great, great people because when you, when you talk about MVPs and like the riff, uh, I mean, and the uh, Attitude Era, you talk about like your Rock, your Austin, and your Undertaker, and you can name Triple H as well, Michaels, you can name all their great opponents that they've had in that era. Name me a great, great, great person that they have a full blown rivalry with, and that is an absolute legend of the time. Ruthless aggression. Edge. Edge. Okay, that's one. Any others? Not off the top of my head, no. <laughs> oh, no, there we go. So you if that was, no, if that you was so great. The spot. No, my, my exactly. point was, no, no, you asked no, me no. to. <laughs> no. you, you, came, you came here pretty no, much unzipped your point, jeans and then said point. that I am the greatest and I'm come here to say, no, you're not. And Mate, then listen, you can't put it back listen, up. My, my point isn't based on individual people that John Cena had, had rivalries with. My my point on John Cena being the MVP of this is that we wouldn't have this without John Cena. John Cena had rivalries and you're, you're asking me for names. I've not got names wrote down in front of me because I don't need to. John Cena had rivalries with absolutely every top star of that time. Everybody from, you know, what was it, 2006 roughly, or whenever it was that he was kind of peak at that point. John Cena had rivalries with absolutely everybody. John Cena gets criticised for not putting folk over too much because he had rivalries with every single person that was possibly on the roster at that point. So my, my point on John Cena being MVP isn't based on individual matches or individual great rivalries that he had. It's John Cena actually being the top guy of WWE for this whole period of time. We wouldn't have got the ruthless aggression either without John Cena. I like what you're. I like what you're saying, Ryan. However, my only issue with it is, is there's a difference between the man who invented the ruthless aggression era and the man who was the most valuable player of it. For instance, the golden era of wrestling is defined by Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan is by no means the best wrestler of that period of time. It's the same argument for John Cena and the Ruthless Aggression era. You, you can sort of say, yes, John Cena is the biggest star of the era, but most valuable is where I think he stumbles. John Cena was the most valuable guy, you know, even after this era as well. Even after this era moved on, John Cena was still the most valuable guy in the company. So, you know, go, going by that, you know, if, if you conquer numerous eras, you're going to be on top of the one we're talking about that you start, surely. I want to a couple of points here. Like, starting with like the point that Greg was making earlier about great rivalries recently, I mean, are we forgetting his epic rivalry with Jesus or Jesus <laughs> over that great storyline that he apparently stars in a nightclub at one time? <laughs> I mean, great rivalries like that. I think the thing with Cena is there's a difference between like being as accomplished in a certain era as Cena definitely was holding the title for nearly a year which hadn't been done in some time but we're forgetting the last few years of the Ruthless Aggression era are the beginning of what is the 
basically the anti-Supertina sentiment from the crowd. I mean, you look at One Night Stand 2006, those people only a year into seeing his run as a top guy are immediately like, yeah, we're kind of done with this. We're bored of this. And the thing with the last few years of seeing his run at the top in like 06, 07, this was the period where you could have made some great changes with Cena that would have carried him further on and he would be a guy at the top of the the eras that would come and people would still be okay with it because he started as a rapper, that's what got him over. Then they started taking that away from him and they changed him into what WWE wanted and then he would go into the next era and be even more of what WWE wanted him. So right on that, yeah. He was basically the case of he was a guy who was popular at the start, but certainly in some fans' eyes, I don't think he was the most valuable person they had at the time because they were already starting to get sick. And there are two WrestleManias Cena should not have evented because fans booed the ending of WrestleMania. Before they were booing Roman Reigns, they were booing Cena beating Triple H at WrestleMania 22 to fight Cena being the face, and they booed him beating Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 23. Mm. But is that not... Is that not the, the fan perception, though? I, I'm talking about somebody being the most valuable player of that time. You're talking about Cena getting booed, Cena not main eventing, or he shouldn't have res- um, main evented a certain WrestleMania or another WrestleMania, or going the, you know the kind of latter part of this era of Cena being the, the top guy. You said it yourself, Cena was the top guy, regardless if he was getting booed, regardless if people turned on him, he was the top guy. He was getting every main event going. You know, he was getting pushed out there whether people liked him or loved him. He was getting put out in the spotlight and he was he was a top guy. So that to me that is an MVP. That's he is the most valuable. The reason that Cena never left WWE at any point is because he was so valuable to the company as a whole. Can I just challenge you something, Ryan? because um, I was watching back on uh, Ruthless Aggression the Ruthless Aggression series on the WWE network and I watched John Cena's episode specifically, and somebody said right at the start, um, do you think that he defined Ruthless, or did he succeed uh, at the start of the Ruthless Aggression Era? And he's come out and said multiple times in that episode that he failed. So mm. what do you think oh. your... <laughs> so what's your, what's your response to that, knowing that he came from OVW in 2002, and he was basically just this prototype character uh, and it basically with his first run in the company. If we talk about the, the Ruthless Aggression era, you know, if you talk about it roughly starting when Cena had that, that match against Angle, right, and that's kind of when it all, the wheels set in motion for that whole era, he's not going to be the, the top guy at the very start, is he? He's not going to come in to, uh, you know, as a as a trainee, ultimately, is what, he, is what he was at that point. He came in as an absolute nobody. He had to build his character through that era. The era was happening after he announced the era was start happening. You know, if that's, I know, I know he never technically started the era, but he did in a roundabout way start the ruthless aggression era. That's where it came from. So he's not going to start off at the top of his game. He's going to have to build in it. So if we really talk about an MVP, you want to look at somebody who is at the end of their run. So whether they left the company during the ruthless aggression era or whether they, they stayed until the very end of that era, you look at somebody at that point. Cena going from. A relatively, well, not relative. It was a nobody up to Super Cena, as as Scott put it. You know, that that is somebody succeeding. That is somebody becoming the MVP. You don't just come in as the MVP. All right. Can I just? I just want to ask the the sort of general. Just open this up to the panel, uh, just because I'm getting wary of uh, of timing here. What did you guys all think of Doctor of Thugonomics Cena? Loved it. Loved that. Yep. Absolutely loved it. 
<laughs> so you're kind of uh, balancing both sides of the argument here. You know, you're saying he got a ton of hate as Super Cena, but yet we all loved him when he was uh, freestyling as Dr. Thugonomics. So it looks like you've got, um, you could argue it uh, both ways in some aspects. Because it felt less forced and less, it was, it, it was just more, you know what I mean? It mm -hmm. just felt more natural yeah. rather than going from this absolute funk uh, gangster to mm -hmm. suddenly being a uh, super face guy with a gangster accent. It was just weird. Mm -hmm. It just I, didn't cut it for oh, me. One other, one other point that just crept into my, uh, crept into my mind there. The, the spinner championships. Do you think that damaged his? Do you think that damaged his uh, his credibility? I mean, I would I would have put forward a better case if he hadn't done that. Aye, but <laughs> <laughs> but I still stand by it. I think I mean, that um, I think the US spinner yeah. is probably my second favorite US title after the one that we just got rid of. The US is okay. The US one is okay. Yeah. When you went to the WWE title, you thought right now nah. the the solid WWE title was great not the spinning mm -hmm. one but the actual like it looked a bit daft because you know it was always like lopsided and stuff like that but the actual one that you know would go on to be used by cm punk and stuff like that for the next i don't know what six years or something like that. really like that belt yep okay fair enough uh well thank you ryan that's uh so you argue that john cena is the mvp and i think you put forward uh quite a lot of good points although i think the guys uh challenged you with just as many so let's hope that that balances you out. So I'm going to come to you now, Chris. Uh, so who do you think was the real MVP of the Ruthless Aggression era? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, gather around, take a <laughs> seat, allow me to tell you a story or tell you a tale of a man who I feel is the most important wrestler of 2002 to 2008, despite only being around for the first three years of it. That man is Eddie Guerrero. He arrived in... WWF at the time back in January 2000. He wasn't doing a whole lot. Like he was sort of bouncing around the IC and European title scene with China and the Radicals for about 16 months and then went rapidly downhill as he got sent to rehab in May 2001. He eventually got kicked out of the company in November 2001, but he re signed in April the following year. So when Ruthless Aggression started in June 2002, Guerrero was already rising up the WWE totem pole. Now, he's back in the Intercontinental scene for a bit with RVD, but after moving to SmackDown in the draft lottery, it's here where we get the first big moment of Eddie's superstardom. 15th of August, 2002, the era of ruthless aggression is still wet behind the ears. This was the date that he started teaming with his nephew Chavo as Los Guerreros. They turned face at the start of 2003. They became a huge part of the amazing SmackDown tag team scene. And of course, he was one of the essential members of the SmackDown 6, which I'm not going to get into too much because we'll need a whole episode to talk about that. So I'm not going to go into it here. And then after putting on these huge tag matches for the best part of 12 months, Los Guerreros eventually split and feud with each other. And then Eddie finally earns the biggest opportunity of his entire career in early 2004 which is a WWE Championship match against Brock Lesnar at No Way Out. He cuts the speech of a lifetime, his infamous addict promo, before beating Brock for the belt at No Way Out. There may have been some help, but we won't go into that. <laughs> it doesn't help with my argument. Um, this moment, in my opinion, is the biggest feel-good underdog moment in the history of WWE. It's not Kofi, it's not D-Bry, it's not even Little Ray Ray, but this one... <laughs> 
and I promise this isn't just hyperbole for you guys on the podcast. He continued this success through to WrestleMania 20 when he defended the WWE title against Kurt Angle in an absolute classic Eddie match. And WrestleMania 20, 20 ended with him arm in arm with Chris Benoit. And this image, again, in my opinion, is the one single image which best defines the ruthless aggression era. He would go on to lose the title to JBL in this brutal Texas bull rope match before another stellar tag run and feud with Rey Mysterio. And the sad end to this story, of course, is that Eddie wasn't given the chance to compete in the final years of Ruthless Aggression because he tragically passed away in November 2005, a death which, again, will go down as one of the most impactful moments of this entire wrestling era. So right now we're chatting about Ruthless Aggression MVPs for me, it is Eddie Guerrero. Eddie, in this period of time, had stellar singles matches, tag matches, ladder matches, brutal, like, you know, death matches with JBL almost. He wrestled for basically every belt, whether it's the US title with Big Show, the tag titles with Chavo or Ray Ray, or even the WWE Championship. He achieved a Grand Slam in this time, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. So for me, Eddie was good before Ruthless Aggression, but it was this period of time that he became great. Thank you. That's a very solid argument, Chris. Uh, I'm, I'd be impressed to see what the guys have to come up with uh, in terms of challenging you. So, Kwaku, Scott, and Ryan, what do you think would hamper Chris's argument here? I, uh, I've got a couple of points I want to make. First off, it seems very coincidental that our host here was on the Wrestling Hero Show last week mentioning Eddie Guerrero as his hero. So if it just feels like uh, Chris is trying to curry favour in these arguments. See, that would be a very good point, but I did not know that because I've not listened to last week's show yet. Oh, games are won't get there. What the hell? <laughs> but, Sorry, guys. So, uh, a couple of points I want to make is, one, yeah, like we all remember when Eddie won the WWE Championship, and I have to say it started off great. I loved that match with I mean, I'm glad I remember having a video of WrestleMania 20 and loving that finish with the book coming off and everything like that. But the thing is, from there on, that WWE title reign that he had, that could have been one of the decade-defining WWE title reigns because it's the story of the guy who finally got the title and everybody wanted him to get it. But the one biggest enemy against Eddie Guerrero is clearly himself. I'm not talking about his like, issues that made him go to Rio. I'm talking about his own confidence because by all accounts, that Dewey title reign ended apparently a few months earlier than it was supposed to, all down to Eddie Guerrero putting pressure, too much pressure on himself. And because like, there were low attendance at the time for SmackDown Live events, and he put that down to himself as a champion. And that then led him to get the belt taken off him quite early and put, rushed on to JBL only a few months into his heel run. And I think it's a case of like, if you don't have the confidence in yourself to be the top guy, uh, it's very hard for a company to trust you with their top belt and I know they they, they wanted to put the world title on him before he's untimely passing but you can see that's still a year on so it took them a while for him to get the confidence back for them to put the belt on him and plus you, you mentioned the US title yeah he's the first ever WWE version of the US champion and yet I couldn't tell you a single thing about his US title other than the fact he dropped it to Big Show like that should be a memorable reign. The first ever US champion. He should be uh, guys elevating this new title. It's been reintroduced into the company. Did um, you know, I can't remember. Be, I can't remember. 
Did he not make Big Show essentially? Did he not give Big Show explosive diarrhea with some really bad burritos? <laughs> well, that doesn't say anything about him as US champion. I just says <laughs> I just says about Eddie himself as a character and how like, mischievous he is. It doesn't say anything about him as US champion. That's how you sent around a feud with this title that's just been reintroduced. A, a, a feud centered around diarrhea does not elevate this brand new reintroduced title. I think that I think that the issue with that. US title. I'll, I'll go through both bits. I think the issue with that uh, US title at that time was that that issue wasn't limited to Eddie Guerrero. Like I said a few weeks ago on a show, <laughs> an unnamed show, um, we were talking about Big Show when he held that title and he defended it twice over the course of eight months before dropping it to Cena. And then Cena's run with that title, oh, he got punched in the back that's kind of all I remember about it and then Carlito had I think and I don't remember anything about that and I feel like that was that's more of an, a product of the fact that they had to have a secondary title on Smackdown and I feel like they almost didn't know what to do it do with it to go back to the first bit yes I agree with that whole bit about Eddie definitely felt a lot of pressure on himself but I feel like that is something that was very token for this era because if you look at all of the title runs around, like all of the young guys getting their first title runs, they're all sort of short establishing reigns. If you look at Jeff Hardy, CM Punk, stuff like that, if you take out, you have to sort of take out guys like Hogan, Cena and Batista who all went on these massive first title runs. But like most of them, they sort of have these like short establishing runs. I think Edge had the same as well before losing it at TLC to Cena. and. That's almost like, oh, let's see how he gets on with the belt and then we'll come back to it. And I think this is something that were definitely feels like they were planning with Eddie. Like they were lining him up for that second run. They always seem to sort of have a good heel run for a character early on in their career, a la Edge, uh, Punk, um, it, to sort of establish whether or not they're a good champion or not. And before you know it, it's like two years down the line, you're like, oh, that's a former world champion. Like that guy can hold the belt again. It's almost the same more recently with guys like, this happened at the start of Sheamus' career, happened at the start of Jack Swagger's career, Dolph Ziggler, like all these guys that held belts for a really short amounts of time. It was basically just to establish whether they were any good at it. And I do feel like this was a sort of precursor to a much longer and better period of Eddie's career that, you know, sadly we're just not going to know anything about. Do you know what I'm going to say, like, and this is probably going to be quite controversial because I know I know how much everybody loves Eddie Guerrero, and and I did as well. You know, I love watching him. I go back and watch his matches just now. I think Eddie as a wrestler was was one of the best. You could probably argue that Eddie, if it was based on just pure wrestling, was was the MVP. He was one of the best in the ring. I just feel like everything that he done had these kind of highlight moments you know winning the titles having the, the burrito thing you know we points that you remember you know but apart from that you, you probably couldn't remember what he does week in week out I know you can't remember what most folk do week in week out but I feel like all his things are only memorable but spaced out quite a bit between I, I feel like he's he's quite disappointing in that sense where they could have done far much more with him week in week out than what they did that might just be not down to him that might be down to the company yeah. I'm, I, actually mm-hmm. I'm assuming it is down to the company but you know I, I feel like he's one of these guys that just gets big moments and then followed by nothing for a wee while until he loses a title and then he has another big moment where he wins another title I don't this know, is like, what I was saying sorry. last week sorry this is what I was saying last week though like no matter what you gave Eddie he will run away with it and he'll make it memorable that big storyline of 
um, him and Dominic and Rey Mysterio. That is that is an absolute tragedy of a story. That story should not be entertainment. But yet he made it so engaging and so funny. And your pappy reading in bedroom stories to Dominic, it was funny. Obviously at the time it was just like, that is so evil, but it's funny. He just ran away with those kind of things. Oh, sorry, I was meant to be debating Chris, but I like Eddie. <laughs> I like Eddie too much. All right. Well, uh, to, 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 the last little point I want to make on it, David, just yeah, um, yeah, like, See, see, obviously, just before we came on, I, I did the old thing of just being like, oh, I wonder what Eddie was up to 2002 to 2005. And I do feel like every single little thing that he was going through over those years, I did remember quite vividly. Um, like the Eddie and Chavo saga of the tag matches. There's so many highlights that everyone remembers. And then when they broke up and had those brutal matches, I think Royal Rumble, I can't remember what number. And then Eddie Grant won the title, I think was, you know, that's one of my favorite moments in wrestling ever. Mm-hmm. And then going on to have his battle with Ray as well. I don't know. The, the the thing is, Eddie and possibly another man that we're going to talk about soon, they suffer from the fact that because of they died, they're going to get glorified for years to come. Mm. But I'm still going to have him as my guy. Uh, you know what? I think that was uh, that opening monologue definitely was a strong argument. But I think the guys brought up some excellent points as well about you know what was holding him back. So um, thank you for that, Chris. Uh, up next, Scott, who have you got? Hey. Well, when we were working out who we were going to pick, and we said we'd we define the Ruthless Aggression era from June 02 to June 2008. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about when it comes to my picks, think about where people were at the start in June 2002 and where they ended up by 08. And from that regard, I think you can't really look past the person I'm going to pick, and that is Edge. Because in June 2002, he was again a part of the SmackDown 6. He was coming off a WrestleMania match with Big T, where the only storyline they could get for them being on WrestleMania was to fight over a shampoo endorsement which ironically a, a wee while ago uh, earlier today I actually saw a clip with Edge on Booker T's podcast talking about it and how there, that was also going to be a hair match at one point but it ended up not being because Booker didn't want to cut his hair because he knew he was going to lose <laughs> and so also that led, led to Angle but, so in June 2002 you have Edge just broken up from Christian he's come off this weird run with Hogan with their tag champ and basically Edge is the plucky baby he's got randomly Rob Zombie as his entrance music <laughs> and he main events the first ever Smackdown exclusive pay-per-view Rebellion 02 in a handicap match against Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman and then he gets injured and that's the neck issues that would really almost almost make him retire and then he came back earlier this year as we know but then he comes back and in 04 he turns heel by attacking Shawn Michaels and I remember watching this because at this time, there were two people in wrestling that I absolutely despised. One of them was Edge, the other one was Triple H, but everybody hated Triple H at this time. But I hated Edge so much from 04, then to 05, then on to 06. And he just became, I think, the defining heel of this era, going on to win money in the bank, the stuff with Lita and Matt Hardy. He set the tone for the money in the bank, cashing with that, cashing on Cena. And I remember watching that the next day and being raging that Edge was now the WWE champion. And then, obviously, that tail ended very quickly. But he recovered with a ma- with a career-defining match against Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22 with the Flaming Table spot. And then he moves to SmackDown, where he becomes, again, the heel of SmackDown. He becomes the World Heavyweight Champion. And he's in feuds with Batista and Undertaker. And then, as I said, he goes from a mania, where he, the only way he can get on is over a bloody shampoo, to 2008. He's mania eventing WrestleMania against The Undertaker. And there was even serious consideration to him breaking the streak. That's how much faith he, he had in him. Even Undertaker would have wanted it. 
but Edge himself said, I, I can't do it, I just have too much respect to Undertaker as a legend, as a locker and leader to break the streak and I can't think of any other reason why Edge shouldn't be the MVP. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right about one thing, Scott. Edge did set the bar for a lot of things, you know, you know, capitalizing on the money in the bank opportunity and, you know, he raised the bar when it comes to being a dastardly heel. I don't know, uh, guys, uh, do you question anything about the rated yeah. R Superstar? Uh, everything was fine up until the last point, Scott. The thing about The Undertaker, if he was such an MVP, then he should be able to break the streak. You should have to say, oh, no, I'd respect it too much to break it, if you get what I mean. That's a bit of a false argument to this. Well, yeah, no, though, because, like, he's, he's been trusted to be in the main event of WrestleMania against The Undertaker. And, really, the feud continued afterwards, so they still had the faith in him. I think it's just the, the idea of him respecting a veteran. I don't think that should go against him as a locker room leader. I think it's just... He is a, a guy who is a lifelong fan of wrestling. He is a fan at heart, like most wrestlers are. And I think it's just a respect for those who came before him. I don't think how that should uh, should go against him as an MVP. I find it quite tough to argue against that. Um, apart from the fact that he had that stupid spinner belt with the R on it, that deserves <laughs> to cancel out everything that he ever does in the wrestling from that point forward. Um, but well, he'll had it for a few weeks, though. Ah, true. Um, I can forgive him because I think he'll be it's more making fun of Cena rather than promoting himself. Mm-hmm. If he it was I mean. absolutely horrendous regard. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, um, he, did, he did throw Cena's belt in the river, though. So. This is true as well. That is true. Now, do you know, I actually find it quite tough to, to argue against Edge only because, you know, I've got my second pick coming up later on and it's, it's an out there pick. Um, Edge probably would have been my second choice. Realistically, would have been my second choice in this. I find it really tough to argue against his career. Over that period of time, the only thing that I, do you know what? No, I can't. I can't even argue <laughs> against that. There, there's nothing that I can pick in what Scott said to to really go go against Edge. Everything that he done was absolute gold. Um, you know the matches that he had, and you're, you're talking about him potentially breaking the streak. I think he, he would have been quite happy. He could have quite easily carried that burden um, if he had been the one to break the streak. I just don't think he wanted to. I think it was it wasn't a choice of I don't want it because I can't. It was I don't want it because I'm making a choice of not wanting to. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, Scott, um, one I do have a one question about your choice of Edge. Like, you know, you you picked up on the fact he was one of the first people to win the SmackDown Tag Team Championships of Rey Mysterio. He only held that mm-hmm. championship for nine days, and that held, and I think that set a precedent for Edge's title runs over this period. Like, you know, yes, he did win a lot of championships during that time, but he lost them just as quickly. Uh, do you I know why that... you know this because that's how you lost the belt recently because you missed out the question on Edge's cumulative days as champion, no, wasn't it? No, that wasn't no, that was like... me. That was me. I asked him about oh. his later days as a tag team. No, no, no. That was me guessing he Slater's tag team champion. Ah, right. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> but my argument is this: that the thing with Edge, I think he, him losing the belt back to Cena is basically a case of. They wanted him to be a foil for Cena to go up against, and he was. He was, as we mentioned earlier, he was only one of Cena's only rivals that Ryan could remember. And so they had this thing with the exchange of belt, and then on SmackDown, I think the thing with him, Batista, and then Undertaker, is a case of well, they were. He's maybe he he got Hawkins, Ryder, Vicky Guerrero, and Chavo all around him as the serial fashion. I think it's very much like a Triple H back in the day in that he would lose the belt, but then get it back. 
and you're like, you're happy, yeah, the heel's been foiled, and then he's somehow through some loophole, or because the heel authority figure is backing him, he's got the belt back, and that hate, makes you hate him even more, like, God, I thought we were done with him as the champion, and then eventually he's foiled. He, like, in June 2008, is finally foiled when Batista beats him up after he fails to win the title, and CM Punk cashes on him, the guy who's cashing on two people, finally got his come up in by having someone cash in on him. He's now on the receiving end of the money that cash in and having to lose his title when he's not prepared to defend it. So your main argument is is that he played the perfect villain during this time? Yes. Like I said, he was one of the defining heels of the time, especially on SmackDown, because they needed it. Let's not forget yep. as well, 2006 Raw, Edge and <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who probably want to try and remember that but anyway uh, thank you Scott we'll, uh, thank you. we'll uh, I'll take that into consideration and so all that's left for the first half now is the MVP himself uh, Kwaku mm-hmm. yes uh, hold on a minute players because something I actually <laughs> noticed Something I actually noticed from the when Chris brought up Eddie Guerrero, there was a little bit of a split in the camp, right? So what I'm gonna do, there's four reviews here. I'm gonna get Chris and David, right? And then I'm gonna get Scott and Ryan, and then I'm gonna we're gonna have ourselves a tag team match because my MVP <laughs> is none other than the greatest general manager of all time, and I will fight you to the death uh-huh. on that point alone. It is Theodore Teddy Long. This man is an absolute legend. Look, <laughs> look at the ways, right? We're we're st- we're in twenty twenty. The amount of times I see on wrestling hashtags and stuff, exactly. Dave's even doing the dance. I mean, Dave can't hey, dance, and he's still doing the dance, hey, right? Ryan's, Ryan's doing the dance too. Yeah, Ryan's doing the dance. He like he's phenomenal. Gonna, uh, that's, how, that's how I dance to be Exactly. <laughs> like just to feel good. Just the way he, his gifts are still used. Like you're gonna have a self attack team match. You're going one on one with the Undertaker. The man is an insistent gag. He's one of those co- like comedians where they keep saying the same joke over and over again, and you know it's coming, but you never get sick of it. And my biggest heartbreak um, a couple of years ago was when Raw was going to have a new general manager after Mick Foley. And it was just when Theodore Long was inducted into the Hall of Fame as he should have been straight away. And then Vince McMahon says he's a Hall of Famer. And Teddy Long comes to it and he says, no, Teddy, it's not you. My heart was sunk. I wanted it to be Teddy Long. That man was magic. Look at the way he had Vince McMahon's picture in his office as if he was like the world president or something like that. He just he just took little things and just made it so memorable. Everyone's going one-on-one. What the Undertaker? Everyone was going in a tag team match. It was brilliant. It was riveting stuff. And he just made it. And I love him so much for that. I'm sorry, guys, but this man is the MVP of the Ruthless Aggression Era. He's the guy you talk about most. He's the guy's catchphrase you talk about the most. That is the MVP. End of discussion. And with that, I bid you adieu. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's certainly a, it's certainly an interesting choice. Uh, it's the first non-active competitor or non-active like superstar at the time uh, that we've been brought up in this discussion. Uh, so, Ryan, what do you have to say to that? I tell you something. You know, I'll go on to Quacko's point in a minute about him being being the MVP. I'm not I'm not fully buying that. All I will say, though, <laughs> all, all I will say though, as as a man who regularly watches Smackdown sometimes there's a show on it for anyway back to the wrestling once a Smack- month <laughs> Smackdown could desperately do with a Teddy Long right now 
Thank you. We need a GM just now and on SmackDown. Actually, on on both, but mainly SmackDown. They're kind of just making the rain matches. Just now, we need somebody like that. But anyway, we'll, we'll, go on to, we'll go on to something else. Teddy Long is great. Teddy Long is brilliant. You know, we talk about the catchphrases, we talk about the dancing and stuff like that. Teddy Long does not even hold a candle to any of the guys that we've mentioned previously in terms of being an MVP of this of this era. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not having it. Like You're it, you're the first of all of us to go one on one with the Undertaker for mate, that comment. Do you know what? Gladly, gladly go one on one with Undertaker for that comment. I just I, I I get the point you're trying to make. Teddy Long was great, it was brilliant, it was comedy value. It, that's all really really added was a comedy value. He, he never done anything as a But he had that he had that voice that controlled order. I mean, look at the way, see when um, they had the tournament to crown a new SmackDown champion because John Cena got drafted to Raw and they had the tournament, but then Batista came out. The way JBL was on his knees saying, give it to me, give it to me, and he was like saying, no. <laughs> Not like that. Not like that. It's yeah, like, because you're now the number one contender to this guy. It was funny. Look, Scott's laughing like mad at that. It was funny. <laughs> no, I think I think he's just laughing at the fact that you said JBL was on his knees saying, give it to me, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, brilliant it, stuff. It, it only, I always thought JBL was one of them. But, oh, um, for God's sake. <laughs> no, it's, I, I get the point, right? I, I get the point. And, and I can't say anything bad against Teddy Long. You know, I, I can't argue that it was bad. I just, he's not MVP level. And that's the that's the point we're trying to make here. Is he better than Cena? Is he better than Eddie? Is he better than Edge? Sorry, no. I think me, since Quacky's stuck up for me, I'm going to slightly stick up for him. And that Quacky makes a good point in the fact that Teddy was like the voice of SmackDown for this whole period of time. And this was the better show going by the ratings. So he was basically the best voice in wrestling at the time. Um, and also, like, this is kind of a bullshit point, but, like, could you not make the argument that Teddy has had a significantly long, uh, significantly longer wrestling career than John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, or Edge are ever going to have? Teddy Long's been in the business for, I don't know, I think he was in, the, in like, 19... Yeah. Like, late 70s. He was Man- referee, uh, he was manager, so Managing many. The Undertaker in WCW, I remember that. Like, well, I don't... I remember it looking back on it. I wasn't alive in 1970. You were there. <laughs> <laughs> Just missed it. Um, uh, yeah, do you know what? It, the thing is, it's almost a different argument, isn't it? He's probably the best non-wrestling person of this era. He probably just edges Heyman because he probably had more TV time. And I was so sad when we got to that stupid five-on-five with uh, Zack Ryder and Eve. To- oh, God, ruined everything. Like. Exactly. I miss him. I miss him every day of my life. Like, and exactly. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan's, Ryan's right. Like, we. This is the kind of person that we need in wrestling just now. Like, it was Mick Foley in like 2000, and then by the mid 2000s, it was Teddy. I think. Can I just? Uh, I think it was one point I want to argue about against Teddy Long. Like, I mean, I think uh, you guys. You know, you talk about how his stint as general manager was certainly uh, a memorable uh, time, but. He didn't really go out with a bang in his role. He sort of went out with a whimper. You know, he sort of became the assistant to Vicky Guerrero, who overtook his place as general manager. Do you think that sort of uh, damages, you know, how 
like sort of the end of his uh, time as GM in the Ruthless Aggression era? Not really, especially because, let's be honest, Vicky was also a great general manager in her own right, as annoying as she was at that time, because I was a very marky mark watching wrestling. <laughs> like, I took it in exactly as I as it was told to me and I loved uh, and I hate I hated that wo- I hated her I can't I honestly cannot describe how much I hated that woman right but seeing her coming out in AEW I was almost brought to tears because I'm like yes but see if it was someone different maybe I would have said mm, fair enough but Vicky Guerrero's Vicky look at the reaction she got when she came out at uh, the first Royal Rumble probably the biggest reaction if not against Trish maybe it's but the biggest pop was for Vicky coming out saying excuse me so in that sense it would be different if it was like some random general manager but it's Vicky Guerrero and and in a way it also helped put her over in that sense as that evil person because everyone loved Teddy Long and making him her slave kind of thing perfect Vicky Guerrero was a better GM than Teddy Long Get out here, Ryan. Take that back. Don't talk nonsense. Fight, 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 fight. I hate Vicky so much. (laughs) Quacko has just listed every reason why she was far superior to Teddy Long. No, I said said she's great, but Teddy Long was a better GM, in my opinion. Who gets a bigger pop? Who gets, who gets that continuously um, continuously mentioned continuously brought up in gifts continually brought up in happy memories I really only one comment about, right. the, about the whole Terry Long thing is that part of the reason I think we shouldn't mention Terry Long for MVP is because simply authority figures should not overshadow the main town the actual wrestlers and that's what we're doing but if we select Terry Long as MVP over the people that we have mentioned because, yeah, he was GM and he was one of the more popular gents, but he really was GM for like, what, 04 to like 07, start 08. If he was such a good GM, he wouldn't have had his power stolen by Vicky Guerrero. And also, we should forget, he was also a manager in this period and he married such greats like Rodney Mack and Mark <laughs> Gingerak. And he married them to super. Oh, wait, no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, well, I think. No. Um, uh, an MVP doesn't have to have a solid run all the way through an era. Mm-hmm. They, they, you, you, you all have to start from somewhere. 100%. It depends. Whatever you make of that particular moment that you're doing, that's what sticks. That moment sticks in me. Yeah, there's right. I mean, Kane, for example, Kane's your favorite wrestler. Are you going to automatically dismiss him as your favorite wrestler because corporate Kane was pish? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Kane is Scott's favorite wrestler. Why doesn't he bring that up more? <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's, uh, let's do it. Brought up 44 times. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, thank thank you, Kwaku. That was uh, I think that was quite a, a left field choice for the uh, for the. What to expect from me? <laughs> oh, you are a big fan of Teddy Long, so to be honest, that doesn't surprise me. But uh, can I just say please... a side thing? Teddy Long, please answer your email. I want to interview you. Sorry, <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, how good would that be? Uh, Eat, sleep, suplex, retweets, interviews, Teddy Long. Right, say what? Fingers crossed. But you know what? I think you all, I think all you guys actually made a very strong case for each of your first uh, first picks. Like, you know, I think Ryan firstly made a great point. You know, Cena was practically everywhere during this time, and you know there were some very 
big moments that he was a part of. Although I think your presentation of the argument was a bit vague because you can't just say, you know, John Cena was the MVP just because he is. Like, because there was a lot of, like, the guys were arguing a lot of points that there was a lot of division, you know, between the fans as a result. So I don't know if that maybe hampers you or not. Um, Dave, 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 it sounds like you want your face banned, doesn't it? <laughs> Chris, I think you made a very, uh, you made a very sort of uh, strong opening monologue. Scripted point. To... Scripted point. <laughs> you made a very good uh, opening monologue for Eddie Guerrero. Uh, although I think we have to address the fact that his time was cut short; that he didn't have uh, as much time to really develop into a big star uh, during this time. So that could be a hindrance on your part, uh, Scott Edge. You know, like you said, he evolved into the ultimate villain over this time period. Although the, I think. And he raised the bar in a lot of aspects. So, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. Although he did incur a lot of losses, you know, just as many wins. And I don't know if that's going to be a hindrance in this uh, in this argument. Now, Kwaku, you went completely left field from the rest of the people. You uh, you picked a guy who was basically, in and a lot of people would say, probably one of the best general managers of the time, uh, a tenured employee of WWE, and who was basically well renowned for his catchphrases. But I think of the same people would argue that SmackDown was repetitive during this time, like the jokes and the tag team matches one on one with the Undertaker. Like it did get to a point I think people were getting, you know, it was saying it was too predictable and stuff. So, I know I'm just trying to be uh, looking at this from both sides here. So, and I have to be honest, I'm having a really tough time trying to pick a winning argument from you lot. But I think purely because of the. The amount of points raised on this aspect and the fact that it was argued with a lot of passion and there wasn't as many arguments against um, the positive aspects. I'm going to have to award the first half to Chris oh, with his yeah. argument for Eddie Guerrero. Now, Quacko, you, yeah. you were a very close second with Teddy Long because you actually I'll did take that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know what? I'm doing I think the Eddie dance. I'm not having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> It just looks like you're trying to do the back stroke and you can't quite swim that strongly. That's what you're doing. Yeah. He, he but you know, Chris Murray sounds like yeah. he's having a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, Chris? I think he's showing coronavirus symptoms. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Well, you know what, Chris? Your opening monologue and you, you're basically your continuous uh, list of accolades, uh, listing Eddie is why he was the MVP. I think you pretty much uh, you won this by, by a slight margin. So I'm going to have to give you that. Uh, so. So I hope you guys have got your second picks ready because um, we're going to do this whole debate again in our second half, but we're going to give everybody a bit of a breather just to calm down. And for this break, uh, we're going to play the clip where Vince McMahon is demanding that the WWE roster shows some ruthless aggression from June 24th, 2002. So have a listen to that and we'll be back in a minute. Hello folks, I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Viewing as we look back on every head-to-head episode of Dowdef Raw and Dowdef Nitro. Find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed available on all good podcasting sites. I took on WCW and it took me a while, but I kicked their asses and bought the company because of ruthless aggression. Wow. Put him right out of business. So I want to know here tonight, as you stand here on my ring, which one of you has that quality? Who among you 
has that one single ingredient who has enough ruthless aggression wow what a question any answers who has enough ruthless aggression to reach for the stars as you never have before is that right aggression to excel beyond their wildest dreams. Wow. Who has enough ruthless aggression to make the necessary sacrifices of mind, body, and soul in order to be a success in this company? You gotta make sacrifices, JR. and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. My name is David Hockney. I am joined by Ryan, Chris, Scott, and Kwaku. And today we're discussing the MVPs of the Ruthless Aggression Era. Now, the guys uh, argued their points in the first half uh, with John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, Edge, and Teddy Long. And the first half was won by Chris Burry, uh, presenting his case for Eddie Guerrero. So that was, uh, that was uh, well done, Chris. Uh, and now we're going to move into part two, where we're going to do the exact same thing over again, but just with different people. Kind of like the Hangover part two. So, uh, um, Ryan, I'll start with, uh, with you again on this one. Um, who is your second pick for the MVP of the Ruthless Aggression Era? Right, so this is a, a, a tough one, um, because I'm fully expecting not to win on this, and, and that's a, a really strange one. I just wanted to put across the point, though, that for me, he was probably one of the best at this point that I enjoyed watching. And it's probably very controversial, and we won't touch on what happened. And in, in the, the aftermath, we'll talk about the wrestling, and purely the wrestling. And my pick for an MVP for this time is Mr. Toothless Aggression, Chris Benoit. Now, that is... That is a, a controversial point, and I, I do not condone anything that, that happened afterwards, and I'm not going to talk about that at all. I'm going to talk about Chris Benoit, the wrestler. When I was growing up watching wrestling with my dad, Chris Benoit was my dad's favourite favorite wrestler to, to watch. Um, so much so, there's actually a running joke now that um, and he says it about Eddie Guerrero as well. He's convinced that Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit are not actually dead. They're going to come back one day in the wrestling. It's all kayfabe. Um, and they're living on a secret island somewhere. And that's been an ongoing joke with me and my dad for years since I was a wee guy. And that's what he made me believe at the time. <laughs> so that's that's my, my memory, right? But Chris Benoit in the ring. And, you know, for the highlight for me is that match at, at WrestleMania, the triple threat. Um, I, I can probably not remember as many highlights due to not actively watching wrestling as much at this period in time you know like from before all this I was kind of I, I touched on it um, at this point but every time I watch a, a Benoit match and you see you see bits of them just now in, in Daniel Bryan where the, the moveset is pretty much the same but Benoit was absolutely amazing in the ring he was no nonsense he came down to the ring shaking the head cracking the neck came down got down to business left again you know, there was no there was no fanning about with entrances and stuff like that. He had the greatest theme music. I think you're probably going to pick in the wrestling. 
it's I've been still listening to that just now as a tune because <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, so I, for me, over this period of time, and the fact the only reason I remembered Benoit for this point was the whole toothless aggression thing on his the side because he had no teeth. That's the only reason he really popped in my head for this. And I thought I need to make a point of of talking about how good he was. So as before, I welcome I welcome the chase. I welcome any criticism you've got on his wrestling. I don't know how anybody can criticize his wrestling, but go for it. Hit me with it and I'll try my best to fight back. I think that everything that I said about Eddie Guerrero in the first half, you can say about Chris Benoit in the second half. They achieved almost the exact same in their careers. They achieved almost the exact same in their careers in WWE. And even during these, what I think Eddie was three years and Benoit was four years, mm-hmm. exact same, almost exact same belts, tag title, secondary title, world title. Their career paths were almost a complete parallel. Ryan obviously has touched on the fact that the end of Benoit's life was terrible. But that doesn't mean that we as wrestling fans aren't allowed to be sad that Benoit died. Like, I was crying when Benoit died. I was crying when Eddie died as well. Like, it was two hugely emotional points. Obviously, what happened is terrible and it's just completely separate. Benoit's one of those guys where you've got to separate the, you know, the the wrestling art from the man himself because what happened, like, we're never going to know why that happened. I, I love this period of Benoit's career because it was a guy that you were just like, oh, he's he's great and everybody loves him, but he's just never going to get there. Like WWE, you're just never going to see him that way. And then when he does finally start the rise from the Royal Rumble, eliminating Big Show, all the way to WrestleMania main event and the best triple threat match of all time, argue against me, um, <laughs> is, is, is this perfect moment in wrestling. I said earlier, like Eddie and Benoit Huggin at the end of WrestleMania 20 is the epitome of uh, ruthless aggression. Arguments against it, um, he couldn't really cut a promo. Josie, just on that before before you got. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. The, the the point you made about um, separating what happened to to Ben on the ring. Jericho talks about it as well. Just now, Jericho will still talk about it when people criticise him for mentioning Benoit. He comes in and says, "Chris Benoit is one of the greatest wrestlers that's ever lived." He he, that, and that's Jericho, who some regard as the greatest character and wrestler that's ever lived. He he puts that praise on to Benoit. Mm-hmm. He he can separate that. And I think that's why I, I can do that as well. You know, I, I'm still. I'm so sad that we don't get Benoit in the wrestling because I, I feel like we should have a lot more to watch of him on the network, for example, mm-hmm. post-career than, mm-hmm. than what we've got. You know, we don't have enough of him. Um, but the point you made about him, you know, it's actually a better point than I probably could have made when the comparison to, to Eddie. The the careers were eerily similar, you know, in, in terms of, like you say, him being the guy that's never going to succeed but then almost kind of does it you know you, you see that in wrestling quite a lot you know you, most recently with Kofi should never have been there as they always say you know fought through got there had his WrestleMania moment and then whatever's happened after that fine but Benoit was kind of one of the the kind of ones you think of mostly for having that type of mm. that, that type of rise and also it should be pointed out that as well and again I've got my own argument coming up, but um, <laughs> like Eddie and Benoit both convinced each other to leave WCW because they knew they weren't going anywhere, mm-hmm. right? So if that conversation hadn't happened between these two wrestlers, we wouldn't have this conversation now because they wouldn't have been in the Attitude Era. They would have been in Japan or they would have been 
you know, retired, working in Starbucks. Like, we have no <laughs> idea how it could have gone. Like, so yeah, the like Eddie owes a lot to Benoit, and Benoit owes a lot to Eddie. Well, points against hit me a bit. Well, he can't cut a promo, man. Like, uh, there, there's yeah. no, there's no iconic yeah. Benoit promo like there is iconic Eddie promos. He's and also, and also, Benoit suffers from this issue of being like, right, well, that's Benoit walking down to the ring, right? Well, that's Benoit wrestling, right? Well, that's Benoit walking up the road. Like, there was just, there was nothing. It, it was just wrestling, which I get is an argument for why he's MVP, but there was no, there's no anything else to him. There's no the the tenacity of Ric Flair. There's, there's no uh, the huge personas of Hogan and like, there's none of that. It's just Benoit the wrestler. But it's good because we almost only want to talk about Ben Mother Wrestler and absolutely nothing else. Yeah, I've got a point to make, Ryan. Like, you know, you can argue that the, the triple threat match at WrestleMania 20 was probably one of the most iconic moments in WrestleMania history where he stands side by side with Eddie, they're both holding world titles and stuff. Like, he'd reached the mountaintop and it was a fantastic moment. But he seems like one of those people like, you know, he's much better being the chaser rather than the one being chased. And I think he uh, suffered heavily as a result. Uh, and, you know, after his World Heavyweight title run ended, you know, he only had one world title reign to his uh, to his name. Like, for the following years, he basically only stuck around the United States Championship scene. Like, he was an established uh, world title competitor one year, and then the following year, he's back to the upper mid-card. Does that damage him? Uh, granted, his his um, World Championship reign, it wasn't, it wasn't a memorable reign. It was a memorable start. It wasn't a memorable reign, and like you say, I think Ben was probably one of these guys who who works better in the mid card. I think he he does his probably best work, even even in feuds, even actually wrestling folk in the mid card. Um, I, I reckon he's probably better in that area, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't unbelievable. And like I said before, I don't expect to actually win this argument based on based on Benoit, right? I, I don't expect to win it because. Because he doesn't have that memorable, memorable career like the, the points we kind of made before, but I feel like but for what he done, for what we have of Benoit up until up until we didn't, if you were to take everything he done individually every single week and actually look at it properly, you know, if we were to sit down just now and look at his career over this period of time, you'd be surprised at the kind of things that you didn't notice. I've got a point. I'm... <laughs> I don't expect you to come back on this right and I can't dispute what you're saying about Benoit as the wrestler and all that kind of stuff but I'm sorry I I, I find it very difficult to separate them I, I just can't because of how gruesome mm. the end was and often when we people talk about this in wrestling and you talk about it in twi- on Twitter and you see people mentioning it on Facebook groups and stuff like that quite often the names of the victims are always forgotten about. You don't ever see people talk about the fact that Nancy and his son Daniel were killed in that. Nobody really talks about that. And that's a great that for me is a great shame in all of this. And that's why like I, I'm not disputing what you're saying, but I'm sorry, I just I find it really difficult. because uh, I'm also needed to be convinced from WWE standpoint what they are actually doing in terms because I mean we I've done a we've we've done a show on mental health and I sat on the panel on that one and we're hearing discussions and talking about it and stuff mm. like that. And I want to know is what are they actually doing in terms of mental health because 
and that's has got a huge attribution towards mental health and and the death of the circumstances and I'll, I, I just don't think the aftermath has been dealt with properly and in the most <laughs> I don't know it's, it's for many reasons like that I just I just can't separate I'm sorry I can't I don't I don't disagree with you and that's not that's not a bad way to look at it because I look at yeah. it exact, I, I look at it the exact same way you know I, I, I do feel like the end puts that taint on, on his full career you know it, it does yeah. because you're never going to you're never going to sit there and think a Chris Benoit match or you're never going to sit and watch a match now and think nothing ever bad happens because you know fine well what happens but the, the only point I was trying to make is in, in terms of wrestling I did try and separate it and I understand that folk can't and I, yeah. to, to an extent I can't separate it either you know you, you, you mm-hmm. are always, it's always going to be there it's always going to be linked together but in terms of actually just being the wrestler you know if we, if we are to sit and look at it and, and, and try and pick the points from his career he had so many good good matches no, no. you know he, he was such a great performer and and I, I find it I find it quite sad to think that it might have been some form of negligence through WWE that that, that wasn't the case you know I, I find it quite tough to, to think that that came from from nowhere you know a performer is always going to you know, want to do whatever they want to do. You know, you look at Daniel Bryan, for example, and I made the comparison to Daniel Bryan and, and Chris Benoit before. The, it's the, it's the quite matches. a it's quite a quite a deep argument to discuss, obviously, because there's that lingering shadow of what happened afterwards. I think Kwaku sort of said it best. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite a quite a, definitely a controversial one, Ryan. But you do make some good points from the. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing now, but yeah, no. Yeah. I, I think controversial. It was, just, it was just an understatement in the way he went. A bit of a controversial one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, just I think, a bit. yeah, just a bit. But um, but yeah, th- thanks for you know d- we're talking about the wrestler side. Fair of things. points, though. I would yeah. say fair points. Mm, yeah. Okay, so Chris, you won the first half. Can you make it two for two in this show? So I deliberately, I deliberately didn't like gone as much of a pure like field day for my second choice as I did my first choice but for my second choice I didn't want to pick those like any of those you know there's a group of about four guys who defined this era but I sort of wanted to pick someone that could be in with that conversation of like they were the most valuable player and amongst all of the players and so for my second pick I went for Booker T now Booker T is one of the few wrestlers maybe two Three, maybe, if you're if we're going to loosely include Goldberg, but one of the few wrestlers who actually came from WCW when it died to the WWF and then E and actually had a good career, like a lot of them just didn't. But Booker T has managed to really carve out a good, what, six year run. If we're just talking about the ruthless, ruthless aggression era, so obviously 2002 started with him being in one of the best tag teams ever with gold dust they won the um i always remember they won the wwf tag team of the year this year it was in wwe uh, wwf magazine back in the day i always remember um in 2003 he asked gold dust if he could go off on a singles run which gold dust let him which led to him beating the rock the actual rock in a rumble 
to win the number one contendership for the World Heavyweight Championship. He then went on to have that match with Triple H, which I think even Triple H has admitted that he probably shouldn't have won, um, which I think is a really high point in Booker's career. WrestleMania 19, Scott? 19, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scott, Scott always knows these numbers. Um, <laughs> he then had his really great IC title run with Christian, where they were fighting over the belt for a while, and then he sadly gets injured around this time. 2004, he has this tag title run with RVD, which lasted for a short while and had a terrible theme, but I think I still remember. Then he went back to the US title for 2004 and 2005 before he hit what I think might have been his WWE peak in 2006 when he won the King of the Ring and then the World Heavyweight Championship, leading to him being both a Triple Crown winner and Grand Slam winner. And Ryan, come at me with this, right? If John Cena is such a good wrestler and the best of the Ruthless Aggression era, why did Booker T beat him in a World Heavyweight Championship match? Because John Cena was using his stance to elevate Booker T. (laughs) Incorrect. The correct answer was Kevin Federline. Um, And you know what? We're all all football fans in here, right? See, when you're such a good football player, what you do is you get poached by another team. Well, Booker T got poached by another team. In October 2007, he got poached to another stellar wrestling company called TNA. Um, Ruthless Aggression existed elsewhere, right? He wrapped wrapped up the era by winning the TNA Legends Championship, confirming him as a legend of the last eight years, six years, something like that. Anyway, Booker T. Can I go first, Tim? Yeah, go for it, Scott. Well, first off, automatic points against Booker T for that mashup team. Him and RVD's mashup team has to be the worst <laughs> mashup team that's mm. ever happened. Or is it the worst theme? Like just well, in general, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I've I've watched back WrestleMania 20. They came out with that mashed up theme, and it's essentially Booker's with just one of a kind played at the start. It's there's nothing spectacular about it. I think the the only thing less spectacular than it is uh, the Miz and the Big Show's joint theme, where it's just that I came to play with a few Big Show catchphrases spread throughout. So, like, yeah, I think obviously everybody agrees that Booker should have won at me at 19. That's probably the fault of the booking and not Booker T. And the thing is, that from what I've heard, Booker was meant to win that, that match. And when you look at the storyline, then it made sense to. And also there's some last minute politicking that got this result changed. But like, I don't, I don't, I know this is a hard argument, but surely if they had such faith in Booker to be the guy and be the world heavyweight champion, they wouldn't have, the people, the powers that be wouldn't have stuck for that capability. They would have stayed the course and went, no, we want Booker T to win. He's going to go over Triple H, but they didn't. He was basically the perennial mid-carder of this era, and then, yeah, I can't argue against King Booker. He's one of the few people that's made the King gimmick actually work. And when it comes to 2007, I mean, you look at the controversial circumstances of how he exited. From what I understand, he refused to take a drug test, and so he asked for his release, and then showed up in TNA. It's quite easy for him to win the Legends title when he created it and awarded it to himself. So he didn't really go through mm. a hard battle to win that title. I may have forgotten that detail. Uh, well, Ooh, my only Chris, retort to that would Chris, be... Chris, your argument's falling apart here. My only retort to that would be if Eddie Guerrero can win the MVP of Part 1 after getting done for drink driving, Booker T can win MVP of Part 2 for getting done for banging the drugs, right? 
Anyone? I mean, it's not, it's not, no deep dead partner. Mr. T doesn't sue us. Mr. T. We're not saying he did drugs, we're saying he refused to take a test to see if he's been doing drugs, so some guilt on his part there. Scott. Scott, I've actually got a point here. Um, like a lot of the, the guys that the uh, panel have argued already, they've had some really key moments, uh, particularly on the big stage, WrestleMania. But Booker T's WrestleMania record during this time hasn't really been that spectacular, uh, apart from, as we mentioned, WrestleMania 19. Like 2004, he's in a bit much a throwaway tag title match in the second match, which, as we know, isn't, is basically the worst place to be on a WrestleMania card. Uh, 2005, he was in the pre-show Battle Royal. And 2006, he loses a two-on-one handicap match against the Boogeyman, where he teams with Charmel. Like, do you think this really sort of lackluster WrestleMania record is... Uh, hampering the argument here. Well, Kenny, it helped, really. Because <laughs> like you said, like, oh, a tag match is, is the worst place to be on like, the undercard. No, it isn't. The worst place to be is not on the card at all, and that's what he was. He was in the dark match, which you wouldn't have known about unless you watched the DVD months later. And yeah, he won it, but the, the definition of a consolation prize right there is winning a dark match battle royal. Plus, you don't, have, you don't have to headline WrestleMania to be the MVP. Mm. In all fairness, though, his uh, his run as King Booker after King of the Ring, it probably is a very one of the most memorable characters he's ever produced mm-hmm. in this era. Fuck you, Charmel. <laughs> that was so okay. random. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, uh, thank you for that, Chris. So that's uh, Chris Benoit Booker T put on the the section for part two. Scott, the floor is yours now. Who is your second choice? Something that, a point I forgot to make during Edges but kind of applies to this person as well and it was a common thing between the two of them and that not only have they feuded but they've also got banging themes and they both used to come out to a lot of pyro so there's a common theme running there. I've just realised who it is. That's a guy so tough that he voluntarily walks for miles inside a pit of danger as the animal Batista and I'm following on from what I said before where were they in June 02 and where did they end up? by 2008 mm-hmm. and with Batista yeah with some people you can say like when they debuted they're not the MV when they start they're not the finished product and you can say that about Batista when he started very late on than most people he ke- he debuted as Deacon Batista and like, surely that should have just been a death nail right from the start for, for him but then Triple H and that sees potential and he joins Evolution he works his way up as the, the heavy and He's on the road with Batiste, with, uh, with Triple H and Ric Flair getting the knowledge and then he starts that storyline, the slow build between him and Triple H leading to that great moment on Raw with the contract for SmackDown and then the thumbs down, which then led to him being responsible for ending one of the things that people hate about this era and that's Triple H's reign of terror. He was the man to end the reign of terror because after he beat Triple H, he beat him three pay-per-views in a row, the most anybody had ever gotten up on Triple H. At that period, he beat him in Hell in a Cell in the final match, which had kind of been turning into Triple H's match because he'd been in like four Hell in a Cell before that and won every one of them. And the thing with that is, after Triple H lost to Batista, to, to Batista, he didn't hold the world any world title, WWE or World Heavyweight, for another two and a half years after that. So he put a, a stop to Triple H's raid of Domin. And then he moved over to SmackDown. And while rumours are he didn't really like being on SmackDown, he thought it was the B show. He was the guy there. He was the man going up against like the Veg and 
He had the classic match with Undertaker in 2007. Yeah, he had the odd injury here and there, but he was basically the consistent. Because like, if Edge is the consistent heel, uh, heel on SmackDown, whenever Undertaker wasn't around, you had Batista as that good guy to go up against Edge to fight through La Familia or whatever that faction was called and be the consistent like presence. And at the end of 2008, as I said, he is the man to beat up Edge and leave Edge prone to finally get his comeuppance to be on the receiving end of the money in the bank cash that I said before. So, yeah, Batista, I think, like, I think if you can think of like only a couple key WrestleMania matches we're talking about before, because like, his first WrestleMania, he's teaming with Ric Flair and Randy Orton against Mick Foley and The Rock. The next year, he's in the main event winning the world title. Two years later, he's in what should have probably been the main event against The Undertaker. He's credited those matches with Undertaker as being the moment that really showed people what Batista is capable of. I mean, some very, very solid points there. Uh, guys, any any evidence to the contrary? I, I think it's a solid argument. And I think much like how Eddie and Benoit had very similar career paths, I think that John Cena's career path almost parallels Batista's. Um, and that, you know, that even got worked into a rivalry at some point in 2009. The thing with Batista is Batista was the guy who was part of so many of your favorite moments in wrestling without you noticing it like i think that's what was really great about him he was actually like really really good in this period of time but i think the only downside of of batista at this period of time is ask any wrestling fan in the world nobody says oh batista was my favorite wrestler in the ruthless aggression era like ryan batista is the near beat on of wrestling at this point in time he's absolutely solid but nobody's you know going out and getting near beat on on the back of a shirt he's jason orange and take that he's so reliable but he's just maybe not everybody's favorite yes and albeit yes. Yes. jason orange left take that exactly exactly it writes itself jason orange versus batista for wrestlemania um <laughs> so anyway uh, anyway um so yeah, yeah, it's a great argument, but that that's the thing that I always come back to with him is like nobody's ever like, oh, I love Batista so so much. Like, look at when he came back the first time and he just got booed out the building for a year before he left. <laughs> like that, that, I feel like he gets a lot of hate, <laughs> and he needs to rise above it. <laughs> I, I will argue. Can I just argue your point, Chris? Like, my brother was a massive fan of Batista. Uh, on the build-up to WrestleMania 21. And I even remember the first... And Ryan, I actually want to pick up something you said on a previous show is um, when you uh, talked about this uh, in, uh, this interaction you had with Batista at a live event at the Royal Highland Centre in Edinburgh. I'm Where pretty he nearly sure... touched his dick. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Ryan, I'm... how big is Batista's dick? Eight-fold <laughs> <laughs> question. Big enough that my horns nearly touched it. Right, right. <laughs> Let's get back on track. <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> I, I but you hijacked it. <laughs> but I can hold on, also... hold on, hold on, hold on. Dave, I felt like that was just a reason to pick that up there. There was no that didn't make any sense to the argument, did it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Nah. I was just saying, I was at that very same live event and my brother got a Batista t shirt as a result. Like that goes to how like his argument. Say a Batista ball. Well, I got his really, so shut up. 
<laughs> uh, but I think that sums up Batista's career best. It was kind of like an what, evolution. What, Ryan touching stick? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get away from the topic? You brought it up! That's you brought it up! Sums, sums up Mackie, you pretty fucking well. See, from like Benoit to this, this podcast has been an, an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> oh, we no. went for oh, a bit of danger right now. Like Batista went through when he had to go through shit like the bloody Punjabi prison, but he got a good match. A good okay, he he looked good compared to Great Cali in that match. He did that leap from one of the cages to the next one. That was a pretty cool moment, actually. Yeah. Uh, but is there any other like further critique of Batista? I mean, I know he sort of left in 2010, but he was basically there the entirety of the Ruthless Aggression era. And was there anything about the his title runs that you know really stood out to people? Well, something I can bring up is I don't know that Batista lost a backstage fight from Booker T. So does that put Chris ahead? Kwaku, my guy. <laughs> I feel like you're just supporting each other's arguments here rather than <laughs> arguing against them. Kahoots, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, I do remember that story. Well done, Booker T. Conspirators, conspirators. But to pick up actually on a point, like I think you guys mentioned before, like I think Chris said it best. He's he's basically the near baton of, uh, of WWE. Like I mean, sure, he, he was look it above my look above my head. See that reference just going way over it. <laughs> I mean, Batista was popular, and he did have a very credible run as the top guy. But he just wasn't the golden goose like John Cena was. Like, do you think you know Batista could have been the guy had Cena not been around? I think he still was technically the guy. Like the fact that he won the Rumble over Cena, even though Cena went on to that same WrestleMania to win the title. The fact that he won, I think, just was to show that he was the best star. And I think the fact that they just swapped them over to SmackDown, yes, SmackDown's not considered the, the show in Dereza. The fact that he and Zay were basically the mainstays of their individual shows. I think they were on that even. I just don't think we should criticise Batista for WWE's decision against of pushing John Cena because I don't think the fans ever turned on Batista like they turned on John Cena so that's a point I got on Batista you brought up that Royal Rumble and all I'm thinking of is Vince sitting on the floor looking so angry (laughs) (laughs) I just can't get that image out of my head see I think that that argues against Batista because it's basically Vince McMahon that stole the show uh, away from Batista's big win but anyway scott uh thank you for uh delivering batista as your second argument and we've got one more left uh before we'll decide a winner and then we'll get some listener feedback as well like to see if there's any we've missed so kwaku load is yours yep so my mvp cannot be disputed at all now dave at the start you actually said you may need to rework your intro again because at the very start you said, no, this isn't about Montel Vontavious Porter. I'm afraid it's got ah. to be about him because when you're talking about Ruthless Aggression Era MVPs, there is a guy called MVP, so therefore he must be the MVP. So I present to you MVP disgusts. But he was shite. <laughs> but he's called MVP. We're talking about Ruthless Aggression MVPs. Was MVP in the Ruthless Aggression era? 
Did you say? He was, yes. yes. Okay, like, is his name MVP? Yes. Yes. So we're talking about ruthless aggression error MVPs. So there we go. MVP. Yeah, I rest yeah. my case. I don't know what to He wrestled in the PG era as well. And then he's wrestled in the current era. So he's a current era MVP and a PG era MVP as well. Exactly. There, there's my point. He's, a, he's the MVP because his name is MVP. Do you think um, MVP was basically, he his arrival on SmackDown was basically trial by fire? Literally, as his, his, first, his first major pay-per-view match was against Kane in an Inferno match and he was set on fire. Look at the way his vignettes, the way he came into SmackDown with that whole aspect of he's in the crowd and all this kind of stuff. He's got these ladies flocking at him and, and the creation of the VIP lounge, which has some very iconic moments. But as, again, I'll bring it back to it. His name is MVP. So it's therefore he has the Ruthless Aggression Era, MVP. Seriously, like, yeah, everybody talks about his like record breaking US title reign. Having uh, and yeah, it's not, not an accomplishment to really be taken lightly. But really, what else did he do? And mm-hmm. maybe, other than I know you're going to mention that probably that one moment that he was involved in. You talk, you've talked <laughs> what about what moment was that? Him and Mr. Kennedy with Kane and Undertaker. Oh, yeah, that bit, yeah, that was hilarious as hell. But yeah, anyway, like, he won, he lost, finally lost the US belt to Matt Hardy after doing very well with it. He, he beat, I think it's worth the United Champions, he beat Ric Flair randomly. He then got into a feud with Matt Hardy because he couldn't wait, wait, wait a minute here, wait a minute here, he beat Ric Flair randomly. I mean, Ric Flair is a 16-time world champion, a double, the first double Hall of Famer. You can't really say he beat Ric Flair randomly, that's not really fair. I randomly because it just, I can't, I cannot remember, I remember the match happened, I don't remember why it happened, like many matches of this period. And I, like, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Kwaku. Uh, so, Ruthless Aggression. <laughs> um, what, what are the years of Ruthless Aggression again? 2002 to 2008, uh, June to June. Cheers, Dave. Uh, when did MVP debut, Kwaku? Sometime. <laughs> <laughs> August 2006. Yeah. It was almost done. I know. So? He made, he made most of the time that he was there, and his name was, again, MVP. <laughs> he had a, he had a nearly year-long US title read, and then did very little after that. He just kept losing. Then they gave him the US title again, after the Ruthless Aggression year, and then he just fuck all after that. He was I a double champion. In all fairness, he was a double champion. He was US exactly. tag team champion with Matt Hardy. Yeah, because Matt did all the work because he was injured. <laughs> And they did have that series of matches where it was kind of like it echoes what the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits did in le- in sort of recent times. It's like anything you could do, I could do better. They were doing like a uh, a free a basketball challenge. They were doing pizza eating contests, beer drinking. That's kind of sums up MVP's rivalry with Matt Hardy. You know, it wasn't like a a match feud. It was a a contest kind of feud. Yeah. So, uh, I say the difference between them and the Viking Raiders thing is MVP and Matt Hardy's thing was good. <laughs> I mean, you're, I mean, you're not wrong on that front. But I think Scott makes an excellent point, Quacker. Like his time in Ruthless Aggression was basically only summed up by you know one lengthy title reign. I mean, he, did he? He never even challenged for a world title during this time. 
Like no, he was, he, was, he did actually. He was in the, the WWE Championship scramble, was he not? I but that was after. That was after. Oh, I saw it So basically, MVP was just a prominent mid carder, like a, a reliable mid carder at best. I mean, just say it. Just say it was a nobody for the two years that he was in for the ruthless aggression era. He was a nobody. He's, he's a reliable draft pick at the moment, but in the ruthless aggression era, he did too much. But guys, do you guys notice that? The word that is used the most in all of our arguments, in particular my argument, is the phrase MVP. And that's what we're discussing here. And MVP is just the Cracker. most in this discussion. Therefore, I should win. Cracker, I think you're, I think, I think you're struggling to convince the panel here on this one. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. I, um, hope, I hope everyone on Twitter starts going Quacker was right and was MVP. I hope that that's what happens. Just you for know, the record, just for the record, uh, he was in the Elimination Chamber match mm-hmm. at No Way Out 2008. So he did at least fight once for a belt. Yeah, oh, no, that, that was for an opportunity, for not, not for the title itself. Uh, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> he did take a hell of a bump, though. He got chokeslammed off the top of a pod. Let's remember him for that and not <laughs> being MVP. But if, if I can give another positive argument to MVP, his entrance was pretty spectacular with the whole like um, inflatable uh, tent and stuff, and he had the pyro and the, the smoke behind the screens. Like his personal sort of entrance way, I think that sort of made him stand out. Don't you think? Absolutely, and the clock ticking, everything was just on point. The diamonds, the the glasses, the swag, the swagger he had. The the run back and then the falling. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy it's MVP. I'd say again, MVP. It's been said the most during this argument, so therefore I should win purely for that example. Guys like Jeff Hardy, Triple H, Kurt Angle are all listening to this podcast going, Why have we spent so long talking about MVP? <laughs> 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 it would be something if we found out that Triple H listens to this podcast. Big Show, Brock Lesnar. I mean, Vince, on. Vince I mean, will probably be listening in his Greenwich lair right now and seeing such good shit. I mean, <laughs> Triple H. And I said that everybody. I said earlier that everybody hated Triple H during this team. That's probably when Triple H turned this episode off. To be fair. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, Quacker. That was uh, a very interesting argument, to say the least. Uh, again, you know, a lot of good points from these picks. So we had Chris Benoit, Booker T, Batista, and MVP. So uh, I think um, it's not as difficult uh, to try and pick a winner compared to the first half, because I think in some aspects, the, the arguments against each of these picks were a bit stronger. But I think there was one person in particular who I think, you know, there was least to argue against. And <laughs> Quacker. <laughs> and, uh, but I think, um, given the list of the accolades and the fact they basically describe an evolution of this character, <gasps> I think, in this case, Scott made the best argument for Batista. I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. So, uh, yeah, fair play, Scott. I think you made some good points. You know, Batista, you know, given where he started, he was basically uh, Devon, Reverend Devon's assistant as Deacon Batista. And look where he was by the end of the, the era. You know, multiple world heavyweight champion. He had some iconic feuds with The Undertaker and Triple H. He was the one to end Triple H's reign of terror. And, you know, he was a very prominent fixture in the world title scene. So, and... 
I think that's even though you know you know you compared his run to Cena's as a parallel, Chris. Um, you know he was still it was still a very memorable and successful run. So See, you talked about that fight with Booker T. Booker T won a battle, but clearly today on this podcast, Batista has won the war. Yeah, in this case, I think uh, Batista wins the 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 argument for for MVP in this war. So that's our. Uh, that's our list of MVPs from the from this open panel discussion. So, from Chris's side, we've got Eddie Guerrero as our first ruthless aggression MVP, and on the second half, we have Scott's pick of Batista. So, let us know on our social media feeds what you thought uh, who won that argument uh, between our panelists. But I do have some listener feedback as well. Um, some of the names we haven't been mentioned as well uh, on Twitter, like. There was Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, RVD. Uh, I'm, I'm going to open up to the the panel now. Like any names we've not suggested, uh, do you think there's a case why those guys could be also be considered the MVP? I think there's, the there's a case for most top guys to to be in this argument. You know, you talked about Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, etc. There, obviously, they're going to be in the discussions for who's going to be the MVP but I, I think the ones that we've all picked probably outshine those two in particular at least I think there's also one name that I want to mention that nobody's mentioned and it could be said that this person outweighs all of the achievements of all of the other wrestlers combined and that is you can make the argument that one of the MVPs of the Ruthless Aggression era would be Trish Stratus ooh but it's okay because we're going to cover that on the women's MVP podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. See what well, great idea, Chris. It's uh, that's an idea for a future show. We'll discuss our female MVPs possibly in a in a future show. I will but, not be involved in that. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> everybody here, everybody here is a coward for not mentioning Luther Reigns. I mean, what a career that man had. Uh, <laughs> see when you're Chris, when you're saying the trash, I was actually thinking because of the era we're talking about I was going to say more Beth Phoenix yeah 100% yeah just because of the era like yeah Trish was amazing I think it was like the start of Ruthless Aggression but more the Attitude era just for like her rivalry with Lita and so many others and mm-hmm. her product was but I think in the context with a Ruthless Aggression only I think Beth Phoenix just pips her personally I think well, I think Beth Phoenix sort of joined at the start of the PG era because I mean she was introduced in 2007, but she was out for a year with like a, a broken jaw, so she didn't really make a big impact until. I mean, like, David, 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 these are spoilers for the women's show. I know. <laughs> Just piss okay. on her chaps, mate. Why not? <laughs> she won her first women's championship in 07, so she counts. Thank you very much. Okay. More so the bloody MVP did. I've um, I've got one more name I'd like to bring up as well Uh, this was mentioned from our Twitter responses as well Um, John McFarlane says one of the never heard of him he's not a wrestler (laughs) (laughs) he's he's one of our listeners but he also suggests Rob Van Dam totally Mm. yeah yeah yeah. One Night night Stand 2006 Uh, that was a or 5 no no 2006 you were right yep the same points against them as the were for Booker T simply for that mashup theme. Mm. <laughs> RVD is great and all that, but he's only got one of the letters of MVP. But someone who's got all three of the letters <laughs> is MVP. 
<laughs> so I think uh, I think what we've derived from this podcast is that uh, the letters MVP are taken seriously, both in metaphorical and literal context, uh, particularly in Kwaku's case. Um, but I think we'll uh, I think we'll wrap up the argument there. So congratulations to Chris and Scott for their arguments, and the winners of the MVPs of the Russell's Aggression Era are Eddie Guerrero and Batista. And so- Dave, Dave, just before you do your closing point, right? So the Ruthless Aggression Era, 2002 to 2008, right? Mm-hmm. 2005, that's the middle of that, right? Why not yep. go to the middle of 2005 and watch No Mercy 2005, headlined by Eddie Guerrero versus Batista. Batista for the world wow. title. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Wow. There you go. As soon, no as, you listen, as, soon as you listen to this you podcast. life, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, listeners. As soon as you've listened to, to this podcast, uh, check out No Mercy 2005, uh, Batista versus Eddie Guerrero for the World Heavyweight Championship. But uh, that's going to wrap it up uh, for today's show. Firstly, thank you to my panel, uh, Chris Murray. Cheers, Dave. Thanks for making me win. Got McLeod. Thank you very much. The uh, uh, Ryan, to destroy you. <laughs> uh, Ryan Gallagher. Fuck you, Dave. And also the MVEP Kwaku Ajay. Yep, and you're next to have a one-on-one match with the Undertaker for not picking any of my MVPs. Oh well, despite Uh, one of them being called MVP, by the way. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this week's show, be sure to follow us on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, all good Android podcasting sites. Eat, sleep, suplex, we tweet, and suplex we tweet extra. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. We've got new shows coming out every Thursday on our main channel, this channel here. And be sure to follow Suplex Retweet Extra to get all our bonus content, including Saturday Draft Live, Eats Beast West, Raw Report, and anyway, back to wrestling. So um, <clears throat> uh, all that remains for me to say is uh, stay tuned next week, uh, where we'll be discussing the history of the G1 Climax for all you New Japan Pro Wrestling fans out there. Uh, all that remains for me to say is, is my name's been David Hockney and this has been the Ruthless Aggression MVP show. We will see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now.